0: Welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This week, we decided to do the 1973 film The Wicker Man, not to be confused, with the remake in 2006 of Nicolas Cage's The Wicker Man, which I hear was horrible. I never saw it. Did you see that one, Craig, by the way? Nope. Nope. Never saw it. You just followed the advice of everybody else who saw it and didn't even bother? correct <laughs> I heard his performance and that was pretty awful I have to say I was really appalled to think that they would even remake this movie well back in 2006 I was anyway nowadays it seems like every movie movie gets remade anyway but this one this this movie is well well regarded it's been well regarded for a long time like I said it was done in 1973 uh, this is one of uh, Christopher Lee's actually he says it's his favorite film that he's ha- that he's acted in The lead actor uh, in this movie, Edward Woodward, says it's also his favorite film that he's ever acted in, and the director of this film, Robin Hardy, really hasn't directed much. Uh, He did this, two others, uh, and that's about it, but for a first-time director, this movie uh, comes across really, really well. I don't know how you feel about it. I think the first time I watched it, uh, I was really taken by it. I guess in, in our intro here, I really have to say that this movie really relies on a bit of a hook. And if you have any interest at all in seeing this movie before we start talking about it, you probably should go out and see it first. Anyway, that, that's my history with the movie. That's what I know about it. How about you, Craig? Uh, what's your history with this film?
1: Uh, none. Uh, I mean, i I had heard of it. The title was very familiar to me. And I had, you know, seen memes and and other things about the remake and I you know I've seen stills and some just like super super brief clips of uh Nick Cage um in the remake but and I kind of had an inkling of an idea of what it was about something to do maybe with I I don't know I don't want to say a cult but that's that's the best word that I can come up with you know some kind of like cult activity that somebody, some guy was investigating or, or something, but that, that's it. That's all I knew about it, uh, and I really knew nothing about the original at all, and, and you told me not to read anything about it, so I didn't, and so I was going in blind, really, and uh, man... It's a weird movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it really I, is, isn't it?
1: I, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of don't know what to make of I mean, You know, in the end, when all is said and done, it all pretty much makes sense. And even though, you know, throughout the course of the movie, you're trying, along with the main character, who's an investigator, a police investigator. You're kind of trying to put together what's going on, but the things that are going on are so bizarre that it's kind of hard to make anything of it until you get to the end, and then things are laid out pretty neatly. And and ultimately, it, it really does make sense. But uh, just tons of really bizarre imagery throughout and I think that what makes it so bizarre is that it's presented in such a way as though like, oh yeah, this is just what we do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, people screwing in the lawn like on in the middle of the night, like, you know, big orgies and weird fertility ceremonies. like, yeah, I mean, that's just that's how we roll. And like you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> and the other thing that really struck me about this is I would certainly go so far as to call this movie a musical. Like yeah. the music is so integral, it seems, to the ambiance and to the plot that I would go so far as to call it a musical. Yeah,
0: that's that's a really good and a lot of people say that. In fact, apparently about midway through filming the director himself announced to the cast by the way we're we're filming a musical and shocked them <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but the the music is really integral to this film. And it really works in in a very 70s way, I think, as well. I don't know. You know, when I think of the 70s, also, I do think of uh, things a little new agey. Yeah. Uh, And this movie fits in well with that and the kind of folk music that was really popular in the late 60s, uh, early 70s. Right. The free love hippie-ish type of stuff definitely has an influence in here. But really, as the source of what that stuff came from, we're talking about more ancient uh, C- Celtic, Gaelic, yeah, Gaelic, Celtic uh, kind of rituals, kind of music. It actually takes place in a Scottish island that doesn't. Well, it's it's a fictional Scottish island uh, of Summer Isle, but actually, you know, up until fairly recently, those islands were a bit inhabited they're not anymore this is the kind of music that they came up with for the movie um, and took a lot of great care to do and to be the kind of music that maybe this town which is isolated and therefore the people in this town through a story that's told a little bit later in the film uh, are following this ancient religion it's it's a very mother nature down-to-earth kind of religion that's definitely not christian right so they put together this music to be, this would be maybe the kind of music that this group of people would do. And it's, it has lyrics. And we get some of this music right off the bat during the opening credit scene uh, through a song that's really kind of interesting.
2: It was upon a llama's night when corn rigs are bonny, Beneath the moon's unclouded light I held a while to Annie. Time went by with careless heed till tween the late and early. With small persuasion, she agreed to see me through the fun.
1: What was interesting to me about the music is that it sounds very traditional. Like it sounds like, you know, the kind of traditional uh, folk music that one might sing in choir in high school. But at the same time, if you listen to the lyrics, they're really pointed. And a a lot of the time, I can only imagine, you know, I can't imagine that the lyrics that they are singing are traditional lyrics because they're filthy. (laughs) 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 Like, it's, it's, it's so much about sex. And, you know, ultimately it ends up basically being about fertility and rebirth and and that type of stuff. But it's, and it's not pornographic, but it's graphic. Like you, and it's just a little bit jarring to, you know, hear young people and sometimes even children singing these lyrics that are highly, highly suggestive. It makes the very straight-laced Sergeant Howie uh who is our main guy he's uneasy about it from the beginning and i would be too like it's just <laughs> but again it's treated in such a nonchalant way it's a weird juxtaposition of these these strange suggestive lyrics but then presented in almost just like a fun and carefree kind of way. It well, was unsettling to me. Like, not upsetting, but unsettling.
0: Well, it is. It's unsettling to uh, maybe even to our own sort of uh, semi-prudish Christian sensibilities, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where we're okay with violence, but sex becomes a little uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and this is a very different, you know, uh, society. It's very uncomfortable in that way, in that sex is treated as a very natural, normal part of life. They're educating their kids about it quite early and quite frankly, their rituals around fertility and sex and things like that. And like you said, it's very nonchalant. And our main actor, uh, Sergeant Howie is his name, is sent to this island to investigate the disappearance of a girl. He has been sent an anonymous letter uh, with a photograph saying that uh, this child has not been seen uh, for, for a month. I think, month or two months. He's a police officer. And I guess I have to say, especially if you're going to go out and see this movie, there are different versions of this film out there. Uh. The original director's cut of the movie was kind of lost. And it was lost due to the things that happen with these things where the negatives uh, in the studio get misplaced or accidentally destroyed much later in history and people were going back and looking for this original version. They could find little bits and pieces of it here in some prints that were made. Uh, There was a telecine transfer that they pulled some footage from and there have been a few different versions of this film put together. Uh, There's a really long version, It's uh, I think it's 113 minutes or something, that's supposed to be that original version which uh, we don't think was ever seen in the theaters. It was definitely not seen uh, on this side of the uh, Atlantic. Then when it was put on video, there were some scenes added from the old one. When it was put on DVD, they added some other scenes in but took other scenes out. At some point for one of these later DVD releases, the director put together a, what he calls the definitive director's cut. And it's not the full version he originally cut, but he came out and said, "Look, we I think this version here is fine. Uh, It's the best of what we have. It gets across my point entirely, and I'm totally satisfied with it. I'm going to call this the director's cut. And I'm pretty sure this 103-minute version is the one that we saw.
1: And I read the description of some of the scenes that were cut. There were quite a few of them, really. None of them really seemed all that integral to me uh, as far as plot was concerned. Um, Like, for example, I mean, we hear at some point in the movie that sergeant howie is uh engaged to be married and um i guess there was a scene where you actually saw him with his fiance at one point and okay fine whatever i I don't really necessarily think that it was all that important to the plot so who's to say because i you know we haven't seen it in its full glory or whatever but it seemed to me that the stuff that was cut and and potentially lost as i was reading it you know the descriptions of the scenes i wasn't thinking oh man i sure wish i had seen that like it it just seemed like longer monologues about apples and you know like (laughs) the stuff that uh i wasn't particularly all that interested in anyway but it starts out pretty typically where you've got, you know, this outsider coming in to this environment and you can tell right away that this is kind of a an odd environment and he's very much an outsider and he's not wanted there. Or at least that's how it seems from the very beginning. I mean, it seems very clear yeah. that these people are not interested and they don't even want to let him come on land, you know, like he lands in this hydroplane or whatever. They don't even want to send out a dinghy to come get him. They're like, well, we're going to have to check with Lord Summer's isle or whatever. The guy that, you know, governs the Island. And he's like, no, I'm a police officer. You have to let me on. And so like they begrudgingly do. And then he starts asking about this missing girl and they're just shady as hell like you can <laughs> yeah. tell like it, it, like there's no question that they are being entirely evasive and shady and they're all like oh nope never seen her don't know nope, nope, <laughs> by yeah. that name around here
0: and he says well what about the such and such woman who works at the post office like oh yeah that woman oh well she she escaped my mind but yeah that she does have that last name uh, but it's not her daughter uh, <laughs> and then as he walks away they're all kind of looking at each other and smiling
1: right And then he goes to the post office and he meets this woman who supposedly is the mom of this missing girl. And she's like, oh, no, I don't know. Yeah, I have a daughter, but it's not her. The mother introduces the investigator to her daughter. And they have a weird exchange. And (laughs) and he's like, do you
2: know, Rowan? Of course I do. You do? Of course I do, silly. Uh, Do you know where she is now? In the fields. She runs and plays there all day. Is she? Do you think she'll be coming back for tea? Tea? Hairs don't have tea, silly. Hairs? She's a hair. Ron's a hair. She has a lovely time.
1: It's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. And that goes on for a while. Yeah. Um, All of this shady business. Now, the thing that kind of got me and and building up to a little bit. Okay, so eventually he like he asks around and everybody's shady and then He goes to get a room at the local inn. You know, it's one of those things where everybody's partying and having a good time. And then the the second the outsider walks in, it's just like dead silence. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like we weren't doing anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who is this man?
1: (laughs) Right. Right. So he asks for a room and he gets introduced to the innkeeper's daughter, whose name is Willow. She's played by Britt Eklund, who I recognize. I I think I recognize her... I, I, I don't know if you know this about me. People are often shocked to hear this about me, but I have never seen a James Bond movie, what? ever, any of them. Still? Yeah. To this um, day? Yeah, never. Oh, my god, Never, ever. But I think that I've seen her in stills. She was a Bond girl uh, mm-hmm. at one point. Um, she's very beautiful and, you know, this sex kitten kind of girl or whatever.
0: Swedish, like big blonde Swedish pulled straight out of. ABBA, or any of the European movies that were popular at this time. (laughs) It's a definite look.
1: She's gorgeous. And, like, she was married to, I think, Peter Cushing for a while. She dated Rod Stewart she got around they didn't even use her voice they they dubbed her they did a good job I wouldn't even notice I don't think except in some of the singing um, scenes but and that was the first time they sing a song about the the innkeeper's daughter Yeah, and it's just it's just really lusty and like they're dancing with her and like thrusting their pelvises into her butt and, and she's laughing you know, about
0: like, it her, de- her father's standing right there he's going in with the song too he sings a verse himself
1: I know like I, I I just thought, gosh, this is so weird. Her
2: ailment is lively and strong to the taste. It is brewed with discretion, never with haste. You can have all you like if you swear not to waste. The landlord's daughter,
1: and when her name is mentioned,
2: the pants of every gentleman do stand up at attention. <laughs> heart that lies between her left toe and her right toe
1: and so he gets his room then i didn't realize this was going to be significant but he orders dinner and he sits down to dinner and it's all gross and he says something to her willow like it seems like everything that you served me just like came out of a can and she's like well it did and he's like well where's all your famous produce like apparently this island is famous for their apples specifically but harvests in general and i don't know she's evasive about it but she's like i don't know you know be happy with what yeah. you get whatever most
0: of it was pretty was probably exported is kind of what she says
1: yeah he goes outside and there's a freaking orgy on the lawn and i'm yeah, well, like sort what? <laughs> what is happening I, I, I and like i was talking to my partner about it and i'm like because i watched the first half hour and then i took a break and and i'm like you know this guy walks out there and there's this big orgy on the lawn and he's like oh well yeah you kind of see that every day like he barely even reacts to it
0: you know this is again another major thrust of the movie (laughs) thrust (laughs) Uh, another (laughs) another major thrust of the movie as we talked about earlier is the fact that all of this sexual stuff is going on quite openly And he is such a prude. He is a good Catholic boy. You know, earlier when I mentioned that this is the director's cut that we saw, one of the key scenes that was put back into this movie that I think was a really good choice is that the movie opens up with shots of him in church. Yeah. And he's singing in church. The pastor who speaks a few lines is a a cameo of the director. And uh, then he gets up, and it's clear he's even like a lay reader. He reads uh, some of the liturgy from the church, and it intercuts some scenes of him getting communion, which I don't know if it's going through his mind when he's doing this, or they're just trying to impress upon the point. Not only is he a great police officer because he's stern and he's insistent and he doesn't take no for an answer, uh, but he's also, I think, quite appalled at what he sees but it's not like he leaps out and breaks them apart. This uh, shot of the orgy, which technically is a bunch of people having sex, but it's all couples. It's not like they're all having sex with each other. True. When he steps out there, I think, is one of those original scenes that kind of got inserted back in. So. Whether or not there were some more intense reaction shots, I don't know. But as he walks out and looks at this going on, he walks by a wall and he looks in and he sees that there are more people in the graveyard doing some things and there's a naked girl who's weeping over a tombstone. Mm-hmm. And he, he, there is a reaction shot there of his face that looks rather upset about it and he jumps right back into the bar. And he goes upstairs and he goes to bed. Now, uh, he doesn't go right to bed, he sits up there writing... This is a a really cool scene as well, where he hears some voices outside the window, and he goes to the window, and he sees down below that our Christopher Lee character, Lord Summerisle, is down there with a young man, and he's calling up to Willow, who's at the window, and uh, he very casually, (laughs) they have this exchange that simply suggests, hey, this is a a, a young boy. I'm going to send him up to have sex with you. As sort of part of a coming of age ritual or something, or maybe it's a ritual that is part of this preparation for May Day, which is mm-hmm. coming in a day or two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So he sends her into him into the bar. There's this song going on, another song that's that started up that also uh, sounds like a folk song, but like you said, is very sexually explicit. That's talking about here's a, here's a little piece of it. I put my hand on.
2: She says
1: Do you want to try? I it's like they're serenading you. Or I don't even know this event. <laughs> like right, like they all clearly like the director and cinematographer make it very clear that everybody knows exactly what's going on. Like they're sitting around in a big circle singing, but they're all looking up at the ceiling uh, where right above them Willow is having sex with this guy loudly. Like yeah. <laughs> so they're all just listening and like serenading and singing this song, and it's just very bizarre. And then the next morning. It's just like nothing happened. Like the police guy goes outside and Willow's out there. And she's like, hey, what's up? You know, and like, and they just have a conversation. Like, but, it's, but he's it's, not, it's so
0: weird. But he's pretty. I mean, you can tell he's getting more and more agitated, right? It's like he's holding it in, uh, but he's getting more and more agitated. Like he like he, he hears the sex happening and he can't really sleep. He's sort of tossing and turning through it in the morning, you're right, he has this conversation with her. And I think that scene was important. I think that was kind of used to show, like, she's like, hey, what's up? And he's like, well, I'm fine, but just show me where I need to go. Uh, And, uh, you know, just to kind of emphasize the casual nature of all of this, right?
1: Yeah, and and I'm looking at my notes, and I feel like, you know, I wrote these things down, and I'm looking back at them now, and I'm realizing that they had more relevance than I even understood at the time. Like, Mm -hmm. when... Um, Lord Summer's Isle gives her this boy. He says, you know, this is a sacrifice to Aphrodite. He says, it's in preparation for tomorrow, which is the day of death and rebirth, which ends up being relevant. And then there's some snail porn. Like, what the yeah. heck? <laughs> like, it was so weird. Yeah.
0: Well, he, he recites a poem that's kind of interesting, it, or at least his lines are based on a Walt Whitman poem. I think uh, kind of damning critique of Christianity is what it is. I think I could turn and live with
2: animals. They are so placid and self-contained. They do not lie awake in the dark and weep for their sins. They do not make me sick discussing their duty to God. Not one of them kneels to another or to his own kind that lived thousands of years ago. Not one of them is Respectable gently, gently, or unhappy, gently, 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 all over the earth.
0: And that is one of the mm, one or two moments in this movie where Lord Summers Isle is, is quite upfront about the fact that they're very happy with their religion on their island, right? Uh, and they don't really need anything else. And that is uh, the point of conflict, the, I think, really, the main point of conflict between them and this police officer you know he is completely a fish out of water not only is he a fish out of water but he's uncomfortable and he's uncomfortable to deeply personal level that really gets to the heart of his core belief system right and so as he's investigating this murder it's not just the people's um, evasiveness about this problem that's frustrating him but it's their overall lifestyle it's their overall way that they're living that offends him to the deep to the deepest core so he's completely able to believe that these people have what he's coming to grips with, and what we're seeing what we're starting to believe too, have just as casually as they are you know having all the sex out in the open and doing this stuff that they're probably into human sacrifice too, and they don't think anything of it either right, and that's what they're hiding is that this woman got sacrificed this girl
1: ultimately that that's the largest impact that this movie had on me, and that left me thinking when it was over now, okay, so the next day. They're in preparation for May Day, and so these kids are stringing up a Maypole, Mm -hmm. and they're singing a very, you know, carefree song. But again, the lyrics are very suggestive. And then he goes into a classroom where the teacher is teaching them about the rites and rituals of Mayday. And she's like, okay, now what does the Maypole represent? And one girl can't answer, and the, all the rest of the girls are like, penis! <laughs> and she's like, that's right, it's the penis. And um, he's just absolutely appalled, and like he even threatens to report her and, and stuff, and he asks them about uh, the missing girl, and they all say they don't know her. And the teacher says something like, if she existed, we would know about her. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he forcefully takes from her the school roster and he finds the girl's name on the roster. And so he chastises the children and the teacher that you're all liars, you're all liars. And she takes him outside and she says, we're not lying, I said... If she existed, we would acknowledge that. And he's saying, so if she existed, so you're saying she doesn't exist, so she's dead. And the lady says, we don't use that word here. You know, when we leave our earthly bodies, we believe that we go back into the land and nature and the spirits of the earth and and all of that stuff. So there's really, we don't acknowledge death. And and she kinda lays it out, you know. Yeah. I, I was kinda surprised that she was so forthcoming once that they had been caught. And she says, you know, he's like, Well, where is she buried? And and she's like, Well in the ground. And he's like, well, you mean like in the churchyard? And she says, well, not exactly because the building that was once used as a church isn't used as a church anymore. So I don't know if it technically counts as a churchyard. Basically what (laughs) she's saying is, you know, we don't practice Christianity here. It's something else. And that's what it becomes. And eventually Lord Summerisle kind of lays out the same thing, and we'll get there. But this has been running through my mind since we started. The biggest impact that this had on me was the idea of religion and how when something is so ingrained in you or me or whomever it might be, anything that's different or that challenges that becomes so upsetting or or seemingly illogical when really... Why is their religion any better or worse than Christianity? Right. So they celebrate sexuality. So they celebrate nature. So they do things differently than some might expect. Who are you to judge, Mr. Judgy Sergeant Howie? Like, <laughs> they all seem pretty happy and content in their lives and their practices. So. It just – it had me questioning that. Like, you know, I think that I identify most with him because I come from, you know, a Judeo-Christian – background and and so that seems very normal to me and what's going on with them is so out of the realm of normality to me that just like him I immediately make judgments and say oh my gosh that's so weird how could they possibly be doing this how could they be so you know explicit in their discussions of sex and and all of those things well maybe I'm just a prude too (laughs) you know it's it's just a difference you know it's it's who's to say one is better than the other it's just different
0: well it's true and especially when you compare it and contrast it with uh, what the opening scene of the movie them him giving this liturgy for the you know the ritual of communion and i think it's no accident that those flashback scenes are filmed in a kind of fantasy gauzy way uh that the some of these rituals are filmed in in this movie because you know well okay what is that communion ritual it's eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you know, a guy who's not there. I mean, to an outsider, that itself seems right. pretty bizarre and pretty weird. And so, yeah, of course, this is all going to seem weird to him. And like you said, the movie takes great pains to show, I think it's quite skillful in the fact that here it shows that from from the child level, you know, they're, quote unquote, undo- indoctrinating their children. They're educating their children in their way of life, just as we all do. It's just very different from what you know you and I are familiar with. but again, it's the same thing. And that Maypole scene is, It's cute, I think, because it's this very innocent, like the guy who's leading the song is almost like the youth pastor of this group, right? Uh Like he's up there, he's smiling, he's very clean cut, and he's using hand motions while they're dancing to illustrate what's essentially kind of a birds and bees cycle of nature kind of song. The tree comes from the earth and from the seed, and then the bee pollinates the flower, and then the man gets in bed with the woman, and then uh, you know the baby is born, and then they go to the ground. And a seed comes from the ground. It's it's actually when you break it down, it's not really disgusting as it is quite natural. (laughs) You know, it's just the context. That's 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 yeah.
1: That's that's what I was thinking exactly. I mean, you know, the the whole sex being kind of this private and maybe even dirty thing is a very puritanical. I don't want to say strictly Christian, and and I. I identify as Christian, so I'm certainly not trying to insult anyone, but it's kind of a puritanical notion, you know, mm-hmm. like, so what? You know, sex is natural, and, and reproduction, and and birth, and the cycle of life, that is very natural. Why are we so prudish about it when it comes to talking about it or, or hiding that natural process from children? Um, and I'm not saying that I think that exposing children to that at such a young age i'm not saying i necessarily think that's appropriate but it made me question it made me question my own beliefs and well
0: also you know you you see both you see all sides of this really because there's this sort of song but then there's also that landlord's daughter song that we heard earlier which is just this body like irish drinking song about how the landlord's daughter is the town slut yeah. And and that's a very different approach. You know, it's not like they're sitting around singing about how beautiful sex is. They're all like grinding up against her and singing all these lyrics about how she's a slut and and she's laughing and going along with it.
1: Well, I think that the only thing that made me uncomfortable about that scene was the fact that her dad was there and participating. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, beyond that, it's a bar. You know, it's a pub. They're singing a pub song. It's not like that's all that much out of the and and, okay so you've got a flirty barmaid oh I've never heard of that before you know like (laughs) not that big a deal I think it was just the fact that her dad was and it it, it didn't even seem like it was lascivious you know like he was just in on the fun Um, yeah
0: yeah of course I, I don't know you're right, but but it's all kind of a test, in a way, for this Howie character. Totally. They're, they're all really pushing him. You know, some of this stuff he's stumbling across, naturally, as they're getting ready for the May stuff, but things like that, they're really pushing him uh, and really testing him to kind of see if he is who they assume he is. As the movie goes on, he goes back to the cemetery, and he sees a couple graves there, and there's a gravekeeper there, and he asks, where is this grave? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Rowan's grave. He's like, really? He says, yeah, and we plant this tree like we do on all the graves, and there's a little something dangling from the tree, and he's like, what's that? And he seems to insinuate that it's like a piece of skin.
1: I think it was her umbilical cord,
0: wasn't it? Oh, was that it?
1: I think that's what he said. I think he called it her navel cord.
0: Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, which
1: kind of makes sense because it's kind of the whole birth and, you know, the cycle of life kind of deal.
0: Yeah, and as he's walking around this graveyard, uh, he sees a woman who's sitting there. She's breastfeeding a baby, and she's holding an egg in her hand, and it's just so random, So random, right? But you're getting used to seeing random, weird stuff like this in this town. Like I said, it's all kind of new agey type stuff. And I read in the trivia, apparently, this is actually based on a more ancient rite that this woman was there uh, hoping for good luck for fertility for another baby.
1: I just assumed that's what it was. You know, like this woman was she's (laughs) breastfeeding a baby and she's holding an egg out in her other hand. Like, yeah, we and we've seen other kind of ritualistic stuff like this. I don't know if we've seen it yet. I feel like it's it's right after this. But then he goes to Lord Summerisle.
0: But wait a second. Before he goes to Lord Summerisle in the cemetery, he sees some crates uh, on there, you know, that that used to hold apples they're up on a tombstone and he gets so frustrated again he's getting so pissed off by what he sees that he smashes one of the crates and he tears off a couple of boards from it and he puts it into a cross (laughs) and he just lays this cross on top of the grave like this cemetery needs a christian symbol (laughs) and he puts it down and he storms out and that's when, like you said, yeah, he goes to, to see Lord Summer Isle.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do think it's important. I, I mean, he's so desperately clinging to his faith and his tradition. And I, I think that that's so important to the themes of, of the movie. So I'm glad that you brought it up. But on, on his way to see Lord Summer Isle, he runs across another ritual, a, a naked lady circle dance. <laughs> There's one clothed, Pregnant woman Then there's like What seemed like a priestess Who was also clothed But then there were I don't know Eight to ten I don't think they were Really fully nude But that's What the indication was...
0: They were meant to be nude, but, but they ended up putting them in full body stockings to give the impression of nudity without having so much nudity. I think they were trying to, even in this movie, trying to tone that down just a, a little bit so, I don't know, so the rating would be, or, or maybe for the comfort of the actresses or whatever.
1: Right. Like, I mean, it was certainly suggested that they were nude, but you weren't seeing the ins and outs of their hoo has basically, which <laughs> was what it came down to. But anyway, they were you know they're dancing around a fire and it, you know it's kind of intricate choreography where they're you know moving around it, it, it's very ritualistic i mean that's what it looked like it looked like a ritual and it looked like a fertility ritual which is ultimately what it was mm-hmm. he witnesses this and then he goes up to lord summer isle and it's one of the first things that uh, he he brings up like how can you condone this these are young children he calls them children they didn't look like children they looked maybe like teenagers i thought they looked older yeah
0: they looked adult to me (laughs) he's
1: like what he's like it's a fertility ritual you know they they're they're praying to the god of whatever that they will be fruitful and multiply and i understand
2: you're looking for a missing
1: girl i found
2: her splendid in her grave Your lordship is a justice of the peace. I need your permission to exhume her body, have it transported to the mainland for a pathologist's report. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder and conspiracy to murder. In that case, you must go ahead. Your lordship seems strangely unconcerned. I'm confident your suspicions are wrong, Sergeant. We don't commit murder up here. We're a deeply religious people. Religious? With ruined churches? no ministers no priests and children dancing naked.
1: Christopher Lee, I think it's so bizarre that he cites this as one of his best movies. He's been in so many things, not even one of, you know, he this is his favorite role that he's ever done. That being said, I think he plays it really well. Like yeah. it seemed like he really relished this role for whatever reason and he's just very dapper and calm. He reminded me of the guy from... What was that show when we were kids? Fantasy Island? Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. He reminded me of that guy. He, he even looked
0: a little like him, didn't he? <laughs> now that you yeah. It. Oh, he did this role for free. and And then he went around the country on his own dime to help promote it and did interviews wherever he could. I mean, he was that passionate about this movie.
1: Yeah, anywhere they would have him. I read that. I thought that was so interesting. Like, literally, you know, he would do local AM TV spots you know <laughs> f- totally for free to promote this movie that's how into it he was some of
0: that had to be a little selfish maybe because by this point he was really in danger of getting typecast for just playing dracula so many times with the hammer right. horror films and 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 those those villainous roles that this was a pretty big departure for him on the screen. I mean, he's a very accomplished actor. He can certainly do it. But I think he really had to prove it. And he was really hoping this movie would be a big success (laughs) for that reason, too. But like I said, even like you said and I have said, even later in life, he's looked back and said this is his favorite film, his favorite role.
1: Like I said, he's very calm. You know, he just... Howie, uh, the cop, at this point is really agitated. Yeah. Like he's he's appalled by what's going on, and Lord Summerisle is just very calm and just you know kind of is trying to lay it out for him. And he you know he says on this island we believe that the old gods aren't dead. Howie says something like, "Well, what about?" the true god and he's like oh the Christian god oh he's dead Yeah. (laughs) 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 so we don't really care (laughs) but he just lays it out very plainly and and says you know my grandfather came here
2: you see his experiments had led him to believe that it was possible to induce here the successful growth of certain new strains of fruit that he had developed so with typical mid-Victorian zeal he set to work best way of accomplishing this so it seemed to him was to rouse the people from their apathy by giving them back their joyous old gods. And that as a result of this worship, the barren Island would burgeon and bring forth fruit in great abundance.
1: He says, my grandfather did this for business purposes. My father continued it out of love for the island and the people, and that's why I continue it as well. And so they've got all of these traditions, and he makes it out as though, you know, it 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 works. Our island thrives because of our practices and because of our belief, and yeah. he just presents it in a very nonchalant way. Seeing him present it in such a casual way and seeing Howie respond to it with such disgust, that's when I started to think, you know what, Howie, like... open your mind a little bit you need to chill out (laughs) yeah so 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 it's not your way all right if it works for them it works for them chill out it's
0: really important that by this point in the movie Howie is coming is starting to come across a little less like a sympathetic character Uh uh-huh there's still this mystery right but the mystery of the missing girl at least in my mind it starts to really take a back seat to what overall is ha- is going on on this island. You know, what other mysteries do they have? What can we possibly understand about what they do? Not to say that you're coming and thinking, okay, yeah, human sacrifice, all right. You know, it's their thing, so I get it. It's it's cool. You know, <laughs> not to say that right. the movie's trying to give you that feeling, but it it adds to that mystery anyway, this idea that if these people are so cool with all of this, um, and there seem to be great wonderful people you can't imagine that this group might not also be fine and cool with human sacrifice if it works right. And they've been doing it for generations and whatever
1: well and at this point at this point that's only his suspicion we don't know he has no proof that that's right he has no proof except for that this girl is missing and there are other you know suspicious things like uh, every year they take a picture of a young, I I assume virgin in front of the harvest and they uh, put it in the inn. and the picture from this year is very obviously missing. And, and they explain it by saying it fell off the wall and got broken or something, but he's very interested in finding it. Uh, First, he asks permission to exhume the missing girl's grave because they've conceded that she's dead at this point or Not dead, because they don't use that word, but um, that she's no longer living in her corporeal body. And the funny thing is, he asks permission right away and is given permission right away. Yeah. And and then, (laughs) like, ten minutes later, he's like, Lord Somerile I am interested in one thing, the
2: law. But I must remind you, sir, that despite everything you've said, you are the subject of a Christian country. Now, sir, if I may have your permission to exhume the body of Rowan Morrison. I was under the impression I'd already given it to you. (laughs)
0: yeah that's his last line to him which is also really interesting it's like how he's not really listening to this guy yeah he's so distracted by the elements that are making him uncomfortable with this island and these people and their culture and stuff in general that he doesn't really have a clear head about all this i mean keep in mind and and this was going through my mind from the very beginning of the movie he was tipped off to this by an anonymous letter right photo and he's taking this photo and this letter completely at face value Uh this guy hasn't questioned that and I guess it's his job as a police officer not to and after a while like you said he's people are so evasive and he seems suspicious suspicious enough stuff that uh, you know that he's thinking that there's definitely something behind it. But there's also that question that kind of needs to be investigated. Like, Where did this come from? Where did this come from? Why do I have this photograph of this girl? Why am I even here? And that itself came from a kind of, uh, well, clearly a somewhat unreliable source. Right. So he's not 100% in the right here with what he's doing. He jumps to his conclusions for sure.
1: Well, and he's also pretty, I mean, it's a movie, so whatever. But he's also pretty foolish in that he continues this entire investigation on his own. Yeah, without calling somebody (laughs) Right. As soon as it got that shady, he should have had more people there. (laughs) But whatever. He exhumes the body, but there's no girl in it. It's just the body of a rabbit. rabbit.
0: (laughs) Which is great, because that calls back to what the girl said earlier in the movie, where she called her a rabbit. And now you're kind of rethinking through all of it. You're like could they all have been referring to a... Like was the rabbit a class pet and it was on the roster? Like, you know, you're kind of trying to go back and, and explain and make sense of this because it does connect in these weird ways. And we've seen a lot of this imagery just peppered and sprinkled throughout the movie. Again, upon rewatching, you probably notice more of it. But, you know, the woman yeah. at this, who ran the sweet shop, there are tons of these chocolate yeah. rabbits and things in the window. Of course, you know, the rabbits and the eggs are all kind of part of fertility and and, and that May time.
1: The, there was really weird set, like, not only a lot Lot of the rabbits, which you know is a sign of spring in Christian mythology. Well, it's not really Christian. I guess it's more yeah, it's pagan uh, secular, but you know, it's a it's a, a sign of spring, so there's that. But then she also had like tons of like babies, like mm. like giant Marzipan babies and That's baby right. cakes and stuff.
0: Which at one point she's cutting up, which I
1: thought was a
0: really interesting image. Yeah. <laughs> later it on was, it was weird. Later on he goes to accuse her of being a terrible mom that like he says, I know your your girl's dead. I know you all sacrificed her, and I can't believe what a horrible mom you are and she's looking at him like Like sweetly, like honey. I don't even know what you're talking about. While she's cutting this this giant marzipan baby into segments, (laughs) (laughs) right? But yeah, you're right. He tosses the rabbit down at the foot, and and Lord Summers Isle is there with a woman. Was she? Who was she? Was she the teacher?
1: I don't know who she was, but I got the impression that she was his wife or girlfriend or something.
0: They're singing another song.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, they are. And in the end, in the climax, they're together. Uh, So I I don't know. She... uh, she doesn't really do anything. She's just around. So I wasn't all that worried about it. But uh, after he exhumes the body and there's no body there, he breaks into the photo mart <laughs> <laughs> That's right. and finds the har- the missing harvest pick um, with Rowan. And he realizes that unlike all of the other photographs of the girls with the harvest, in this picture, there is no harvest. And he says to himself, the crops and Rowan failed and then he has this revelation she's not dead but they're going to sacrifice her like mm. on may day or whatever which is the next day yeah so he goes back to the hotel and this was my favorite scene just because i kind of couldn't believe what i was seeing <laughs> willow does like a like a seductive like beckoning song and dance in her bedroom which is just right next door to his and like it totally has this hypnotic effect on him where he's like drawn to her like he almost goes and um, at one point he's like totally got his body pressed right up against the wall and he's like sweating and panting and I'm like, careful dude, you're gonna make a mess it's just so funny, like she sings this whole song and she's just dancing around the room uh, totally naked, and I guess she was pregnant at the time. I don't think anybody would have ever known, but um, because she was pregnant at the time, she didn't want to be filmed fully nude. So she was only filmed nude from the waist up, and she's got a very nice waist up. There, there were some full shots of her dancing from behind, and that was a body double. And and again, she and her double, both very beautiful women, but it was just like it was just so weird to see kind of this. Raunchy striptease type, totally nude dance where she's trying to seduce them.
0: Yeah, it's not what you are expecting in this movie. Well, you know no. what's? I mean, all the music is is unexpected, and then this whole scene—it's one of the most famous scenes in the film, and you know, it's caused a, a a bit of controversy just because of the body double thing. She's been asked over time to like sign. Her name on these photos of of her, and she's like, uh, "That's not me." So I'm not signing my name there.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I think her boyfriend or her husband at the time was Rod Stewart, and he actually tried to get the movie Locked. not shown because yeah. he heard that she was nude in it. It's all this stuff, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a cool scene, but it's it's kind of I don't know if I call it raunchy. I think it's kind of a sexy sexy it scene. Is. And she's singing, and it, you know, there's this music, and it's just pulsating. It's like you said, it's this seductive thing. It maybe is played a little over the top by the guy, but when you kind of know this guy's personality, you sort of feel like, okay, he is so... (laughs) he is so um, stunted and repressed in all this. I could see him being the kind of guy who'd be like pressing his body up against a wall, sweaty if nobody else is. Oh, totally.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And, and she goes in the next morning again, just like nothing happened. And, and she wakes him up and she's like, I thought you'd come see me last night. I was kind of hoping you would. And he's like, Oh, sorry. It's nothing personal. (laughs) I just don't, I just don't believe in that before marriage. And, you know in in that moment um i just <laughs> i was thinking yeah. i have no idea how old this actor is but he looked like he was probably 40 and yeah. i'm like dude get married today
0: (laughs) one of those scenes that was apparently cut from the from the film and maybe lost to time was a scene early on uh, on the main island where they were his coworkers were talking about him and just explicitly talking about what a prude he was and how he was a virgin and it's probably good that that was cut out because it didn't need to be so on the nose it's better for the slow burn to kind of happen for that revelation to be at that moment and for it to be as casual as it is because it turns out to be pretty important that he's a virgin. Yeah,
1: this all leads into the final act where everything kind of comes together. Well, first of all, he tries to leave because he wants to go and get back up or whatever, but his plane won't start and it seems to be suggested that it's been sabotaged. The girl, uh, Willow, had said to him, you really should leave today because you're not going to want to be here for May Day yeah. <laughs> with, the way, with the way that you think about things.
0: Well, e- even earlier when he was in um, talking to, you know, when he tossed the rabbit at the floor and he was in there with Lord Summers and he basically laid out to him, I think this is what's happening. You sacrifice this girl. You're going to sacrifice this girl. Now,
2: it is my intention tomorrow to return to the mainland and report my suspicions to the chief constable of the West Highland Constabulary and I will demand a full inquiry takes place into the affairs of this heathen island. You must, of course, do as you see fit, Sergeant. Perhaps it's just as well that you won't be here tomorrow to be offended by the sight of our May Day celebrations here.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so he does try to leave but he can't and so instead what he and still nobody will be forthcoming with him about the girl so he says that he's going to go search every house and he does and that's kind of an interesting montage. <laughs> it is. You know, people are messing with him. He's walking in on naked ladies in the bathtub. It's it's just a kind of a, a funny scene, but he yeah. doesn't find anything. Yeah. So he decides to take a nap. That was, <laughs> that was the most relatable part of the movie to me. <laughs>
0: All this detective work is really exhausting. I <laughs> yeah, you know. He
1: goes back to the hotel and he tells them, he's like, I'm going to go lay down for a half an hour. Don't bother me. <laughs> and then he's laying down and the innkeeper and Willow loudly whisper outside his door, oh, he's asleep. Let's light the hand of Fate or something—I don't remember what it was—and and Willow's like, "Oh, I don't know. That's kind of risky. He could sleep for days if we do that." And and the guy's like, "Oh, that's even better." So they light something and go away, and he wakes up, and it—I I don't know if it was supposed to be a real hand. We had seen a corpse in a coffin with its hand cut off before. Yeah. So. I don't know if it was a real hand or if it was just a hand candle or whatever, but it freaks him out. Then he attacks the innkeeper as he's getting dressed for the May Day celebration. And they had explained or he had read, like he had done some research about these different traditions.
0: Even this movie is not lacking a a scene of research in a library. I just have to point that Uh out. (laughs)
1: Library research. Get you places. It was important,
0: though, because it really laid out the ancient medieval May Day rituals that this town more or less follows. And it was good to hear him explain it and see those images to be able to understand what we were seeing during this next sequence you're about to describe.
1: And they weren't fictitious. I mean, they were kind of a hodgepodge of... Of uh, different traditions, but you know, it's not like they were just making this up. I mean, these were real real traditions. Mm -hmm. He read how you know there were three central figures. Everybody dresses up in costumes, and we've already seen that. Everybody's wearing like animal masks and stuff, but there are three central figures there's a horseman, he uh, leads the procession, and then there's a lady man portrayed by the leader, and then there's the fool, punch, the fool. Mm -hmm. And um, when he knocks out the innkeeper, that guy is wearing the punch costume. So he puts on the punch costume. And then there's this great... Excellent sequence of this Mayday processional where Christopher Lee is in share drag, like (laughs) prancing down the street, you know, everybody's in their masks and it's this big celebration and Howie is in the punch costume and Summer's Isle is like, come on, you need to dance. You're the fool, act the fool. And so he kind of tries to, but, you know, he's, he's a little out of place.
0: They don't know that it's him, or at least they presumably don't know that it's him in that outfit. Right. Right.
1: Right, and they proceed through all this thing, and there's this whole, like, sword ceremony where um, it's supposedly... I think that it's all just a game, but it's supposedly, like, a game of chance where you have to, like, put your head in this star of swords that these guys are holding, and um, supposedly they're going to cut somebody's head off. Well, it's all just a ruse. They do cut somebody's head off, but it turns out it's just part of a costume. It's, it's not real. But then they proceed to the beach and they bring out the sacrifice, and it's Rowan, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's her, I found her, and so he runs up in the costume, and he says, don't be afraid, I'm a police officer, and she says, oh, thank goodness, Mr. Police Officer, I'm so scared, get me out of here, (laughs) and so they run off, and she's like, come this way, I know the way out, and as soon as she said that, I said it's a setup. <laughs> and that was that was the first time that I had thought it. But as soon as she said, "Oh, Mr. Police Officer, thank goodness you're here. Follow me."
0: You would have thought that this person, if this is such a part of their culture, would have gone along with it. You know, sort of the willing yeah. sacrifice kind of thing. And so the minute that she seems like she's in distress, you realize that something's not right here. <laughs> but he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. They run through this cave that she had been standing in and come out the pop out the other side. And at first it looks like they're free, but then he looks down and sees that there's Lord Summerisle and there's a willow and like two or three other people all waiting for him. And then pretty soon the rest of the village comes over the top with their swords that they had in the ritual looking kind of ominous. And the people start to crowd around him and Lord Summerisle basically lays it all out for him at this point. And says, "Nope, you're the sacrifice dummy. (laughs) You're the fool. You know is what he says."
1: I just thought it was so interesting. He's like, "We, you know, we need a sacrifice." He's like, "Animals work, but not great." He said, "Kids are pretty good, but a certain kind of adult is the best." And he and the guy's like, "I don't know what you mean." And he says, "Well, you came here of your own free will. You have the power of the king." Because he's a police officer, so he represents the king. You're a virgin, and you're a fool. Yeah. And the combination of being all of those things makes him the prime candidate to be the sacrifice. Yeah. And so he's stripped and bathed and anointed and painted and robed and led off. And he goes off on the, you know, like, he's proselytizing, talking about how he's going to hold on to his faith, and he will be resurrected in Jesus, and Summers I was like, oh, good, I'm glad you think that. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's that like, makes this even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: all right, you keep believing that, you're going to see Jesus soon, <laughs> mm-hmm. more or less. And it's it's really interesting, because at this point, you look back on the move, and you realize he did completely throw himself into this situation. Oh, There's yeah. There's nothing that anybody did to keep him... I mean, maybe they messed with the plane, it's really kind of unknown, But aside from that, there's nothing that anybody ever... In fact, they were actively discouraging him the entire way, including Lord Summer's Isle.
1: Right. And even when the plane didn't work, the boatman said, we could have somebody row you to the mainland. It would take forever, but we could. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did have the opportunity to go but he didn't he stayed and all of the dialogue here at the end is 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 really strong um with him pleading and and calling out to his god and christopher lee's character again just remaining very collected and and kind of just explaining what's going on and he says now off to the wicker man and they they Drag him up this big hill Where there is literally This giant wicker man Now I've never heard of this In any context outside of these movies But apparently This is something of lore Whether or not it ever actually existed Is up for debate but um, it's this giant wicker structure. and this one, it looks really cool. like into like the appendages and different parts of it are built cages that they've got animals in that they're going to sacrifice also. Um, and then right in the torso in the center is a large cage for him. and they put him in it and and what they're going to do and what they do do is uh, they light it on, Fire in sacrifice. And there's great imagery of it standing, you know, because they're sacrificing him to the God of the sun. And there's great imagery of this thing. Burning and then collapsing right in front of the setting sun. Yeah, I just I, I I thought it was and and you know the animals are screaming which I hate but it was really effective and he's weeping and and praying and then it's it's just over. I mean they yeah. they sacrifice him and that's it.
0: It ends like a, like a Tales from the Crypt story, you know? <laughs> or a Twilight Zone one. Like, here's your big twist, and then this guy's getting it. So, uh, you know, you do feel... Obviously, you feel bad, and it's kind of shocking. But the movie does a really good point in making all of this just a little a little tenuous, I think. Oh, yeah. It really works for me. I love this movie. And I'm so glad that you didn't read anything about it, that you didn't know anything about this going in, that you hadn't read any articles about it, because that ending is so important and I feel like this, this, this movie is a slow burn and it's a journey and I feel like you gotta go through the whole journey to really appreciate it and on top of it it's just such a uniquely bizarre film mm-hmm. but it works you know it it doesn't fit in a particular genre I you know primarily it's kind of a mystery but because of the ending and the subject matter it, it is a horror film but like you said it's also a musical it doesn't really have comedic elements to it but it's kind of funny what's what's happening with him and how they're playing with him times it it just has a little bit of everything and the music is really good it is music it really fits with the film Uh, it was lovingly crafted it's just the kind of movie that's that's what I would say about it. it's a lovingly crafted movie it happens every once in a while and uh, that was why I was so appalled to hear that they remade it and I'm also appalled to hear that the remake sucked because I'd hate for yeah. somebody to watch that and kind of get exposed to the bare bones of the story without being able to go back and appreciate this movie, you know, for the first time.
1: This is the kind of movie that I can't imagine why anybody would look at it and think, you know what, we should remake this. Like, yeah. it's, it's such, it's so odd and, and unique in its own way. You can't, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, either you try to recapture exactly what it already did or you try to update it in some way, which just seems stupid. Like it just seems like a foolhardy endeavor I didn't love it But I did really appreciate it Because it made me think And I didn't expect that Going in and even in the first You know 45 minutes I didn't Anticipate that but it really did make me Think about you know Belief and faith and What that means and You know I I thought that it was really interesting At the end as he's pleading How he says something like What if this doesn't work what if you sacrifice me and you still have a bad harvest next year? Then what? Uh, and he says to Summer Isle, the only better f- sacrifice would be you. And I saw a flash of doubt on Summer Isle's face. Mm. Whereas before he had seemed so confident, the idea that per- potentially if this didn't work that his life might be in danger. I just got the slightest indication that that gave him pause. And uh, I really liked that. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, that questioning of faith and you know comparing one faith to another and feeling so strongly that you are right in your faith and others are inherently wrong because you are right, I, I just think that's a really interesting concept. You know, I watched this a couple days ago, and I've really kind of been thinking about it since then. So uh, when a movie can make me ponder things like that, I think it's successful.
0: Yeah, it really is. It hits on so many different levels. It's quite good. Hopefully, uh, if you had any interest in seeing this movie, you didn't get to the end of this podcast before seeing it. And even if you have, go out and see it anyway. I mean, you can still enjoy it. Yeah, All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find our Facebook page by just by searching Two Guys and a Chainsaw on Facebook. We also have a website out there, twoguys.red40net.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes available for downloading or streaming. If you have any ideas for any films you'd like us to do in the future, send us a request. We do fulfill those quite frequently, and you can do that either on Facebook or on our comment page on that website. Until next next time. Next time I'm Todd and I'm Craig with two guys in a chainsaw